there and welcome to episode 73 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined every week by a couple of gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. Oh, that was, you made us wait for that, mate. That was a bit exciting. And hello to my little brother, Joe Clay. Hello. So it didn't take long for all of our innocent naivety and the optimism at the start of the season to be stamped out and crushed by the Albion. It has been a few days since our defeat at Ewood Park and hopefully you're recovered from the shock and impact and the trauma that Albion caused on that day. We're going to talk all about it today. We're going to go through all of the talking points from the game as well as catch us all up on a little bit of the news that's been going on. But before we get to any of that, it is lovely that you have joined us here at the Debate Club. We're always thankful for whoever you are and however you've downloaded it or however you're watching this. We did say last week, we teased, didn't we, that we'd be on YouTube. We didn't end up on YouTube, but there's a potential that this one may be on YouTube. So if you listen to this on your podcast and you fancy going over onto the YouTube, you you can go and watch us there potentially um but we're just grateful for you however you're listening to this or watching this so thank you if you do want to leave us a review we do appreciate that if you want to like follow us or do any of the things that you can do with social media we really do appreciate you but we do want to get straight into the action tonight it is tuesday evening it's currently half past eight while we're recording this so we've just currently gone behind against stoke uh josh griffiths has scored an own goal uh, so we've got an eye on that, but we're also going to be talking about something else that uh, is leaving as much of a pleasant taste in our mouth as that the current state of affairs over in Stoke is the Blackburn game. The first game of the season, we were all filled with optimism, um, but it didn't last long. Uh, it, in fact, it didn't even get to kick off. We're going to try and change the way we talk about games. We're going to talk about some of the, the the talking points, so to speak, from each one of the games. And to be honest, the talking points to do with this game started before kickoff. And I think the major uh, point of conversation, at least, was the lineup. Obviously, if you're listening to this now, you're aware that Albion lost 2-1. Well, I assume you are. And if I've just broken the news to you, I'm very sorry to have to have broken that news to you. But we lost 2-1, two quick goals in the first half after 20 minutes. um, And then the second goal being straight from an Albion kickoff before we equalised in the second half, but couldn't muster the, the, the equaliser or go on from there. So, yeah, as I was saying, the talking point started before we even got to a ball being kicked and it was the lineup social media kind of went into a like a, a pre-game meltdown a little bit as the as the team was announced we had a uh, palmer in goal which was lovely but the back four and the two main talking points i guess were the centre-back pairing of Ajayi and Kipre and the inclusion of Chalaba in the starting lineup, despite what most people had kind of rightly pointed out was limited action in pre-season and also clearly being on the for-sale block or up for kind of getting rid of him. Carlos Corbin didn't seem to have him in his plans and yet he was suddenly at at the heart of this conversation 
guys, let's start our, our talk, our debate there tonight. What did you make of the lineup? Did it kind of feel like a disaster waiting to happen, or did you feel like there was some merit to it? Where do you think? For me, it felt like it was still pre-season, that he's still testing out uh, his squad. It's like what Klopp's just come out recently saying, that pre-season doesn't end till the first month in the uh, the season. And it feels like he's still trying to feel out the players and positions. Maybe there's some niggles of injuries uh, that we don't know about that's not reported in the press, but it was a strange one, wasn't it? Um, I don't think it was strange about a Ajayi and... Kipre, because Kipre has had some pl uh, playing time in the uh, friendlies. Not very positive feedback uh, from journalism and people on Twitter who've been to the games and social media. But you can understand that. Kipre played well for Cardiff last season, uh, according to their fans, and Ajay is always you know, in the squad, there or about, isn't he? Um, but I think the real sticking point for most people was, and the most controversial one about it was Chalaba playing in that either I think it was highlighted on uh, the Albion website that he'd be probably playing in like the attacking part of the midfield but it, from what we saw when it was uh, on the pitch he was playing with OK and Malumbi was playing as that attacking midfielder I'd never thought we'd see the time when Malumbi was in that attacking midfield but I can understand why he did it the buzzing around the pressure all that on the defence but the Chalaba situation didn't sit right with me um before the game i won't go into what i thought about him in the game yet but um alex any other opinions yeah i think um going into the game i thought that corbin had a like a strange strategy like perhaps he was starting out like trying to fill the midfield and play tight and try not to concede and then he Bring it, bring on a load of attacking players like Sarmiento and Swift later in the second half when you know the Blackburn players had lost a bit of energy. Um, they got a bit tired, but it, it was very very strange, and you know it obviously didn't work. Um, you know I was surprised it didn't start at least one more experienced centre back like either Bartley or Poiters. Um but. Yeah, very, very strange. Like you say, Joe, I think it, it did look very much like a pre-season. Uh, you know, look like he's testing. Perhaps he's even putting Chalibre in the shop window because uh, he's trying to get rid of him. Uh, maybe Kipre too. I mean, you could argue Moat as well, should he have started? You know, he's had a, a good pre-season. Uh, TGH as well has played well. You know, why put Chalibre above those players? Very strange, but yeah, it obviously didn't work. And, you know, I suppose we move on. Yeah, I think I agree. I think I can, yeah, I can get my head around like you both said there. I can get my head around Kipre starting. I think there's different reasons why people are hesitant about Kipre. There's this, as he proved in the game as well, he's got a bit of a, what people call, he's a bit error prone. He's got a mistake in him. And obviously it cost us one goal and arguably led to the first goal as well. He's a little bit temperamental. His concentration sometimes drifts. However, we've known and seen from Corbin's football that he does like to play out from the back. And I think the thing about um, starting Kipre and ahead of Bartley or perhaps Taylor, who's a bit inexperienced or Peters who struggled last season towards the end as well, um, is that with Kipre, you have got someone who can play the ball 
um, with a great... Uh, you see that he does try and make little passes into midfield. In fact, that's what eventually caused the second goal. Um, so whether he executes on that is a little bit of a problem. I guess the difficult thing about Shalabar, and I'm, I'm not sure when Swift came on and stuff like this, it seemed a bit sluggish, Swift did. But um, with Shalabar, I don't think he played particularly badly in this game, but it was definitely a big surprise for me. And I think the thing that you won at two o'clock on the first game of the season is to feel excited uh, and really like, oh, this this team lineup's got me uh, pumped for the first game of the season. But it felt overly cautious. I think if in my eyes, I appreciate what you said, Joe, there about Jason Malumbi, how he can press high and he can arrive in the box because he's got enough legs to cover the distance to get back. And then there was a couple of occasions where he did arrive in, in the box late. And if he, on another day, he might've scored two goals from his positions um, if he didn't have two left feet, but he, I understand the principle there, but also when you look at Malumbi, Shalaba and, am I giving that unnecessary amount of extra pronunciation? Shalaba. <laughs> Um, he and Yakushlu, you're looking at, if I was to just say on the, the scales of what they're kind of, how they profile, I would say they all lean more defensive than attacking. Um, so in theory, you had three more defensively, more game-breaking kind of players than creative progressive types. And so for me, the inclusion of all three at the kind of expense of a John Swift or an Alex Moat, people who get people who get on the ball. Is that unnecessary pronunciation? <laughs> yeah, get on the ball and want to play passes forward and want to create chances and, and seemingly have done well. I mean, the statistics about John Swift and his part in the squad last season spoke for themselves. That was almost as good as the, the stats we quote around Dara O'Shea. So I think that's for me. I, I just remember hearing the squad or someone sending me a photo of the squad on WhatsApp and just thinking, oh, is that it? Are we? Uh, it felt like, it's a bit of a cliche, but it felt like we were playing for the point. Yeah, I agree. Um, but just going back to Malumbi, it's like Corbran watched the night before Barry Bannon's performance against... Uh... Southampton, where he's very similar. He just chases down every avenue. But Barry Bannon's got actually quite a good through ball. He's got that uh, creativity and that creative spark. So, yeah, it was just... Uh, I don't think Malumbi can play there again. He needs to be that box-to-box, doesn't he, uh, regarding him. Um, and Moet wasn't started because of his hat wearing. I heard that through uh, the in-the-nose... On yeah. uh, Twitter. The ITKs yeah. have revealed. Megamind wasn't allowed his starting position. <laughs> Let's get into the game then. It started off pretty strong. I think most people were were quite pleased. Matt Phillips had an early chance. Matt Phillips, in fact, very impressive in this game. Seems to have really picked up the baton from where before he got injured last season. Really had a good game. Obviously got our goal as well. And we seem to be in control for the first 20 minutes or so until what was a long ball over the top that Kipre tried to clear, didn't get clear um, very comfortably and left Connor Townsend in a bit of an awkward situation where he had to sort his feet out quickly and do something, respond very quickly. He didn't. They seized upon it and obviously they got their first goal. And this kind of leads to the first talking point because 
straight away from the kickoff. The ball is not backwards. Kipre, every time I say Kipre, Kipre <laughs> attempts a, a ball into central midfield. It's cut out. It, it leaves them short. We pass the pass through a goal, and Alex Palmer's beaten at his near post. And obviously, social media is ablaze. Then instantly, Kipre has um, cost two goals. A lot of people's analysis of the the game or at least those two goals, was that Kipre's mistakes have cost us bad. The narrative surrounding Kipre and his error-proneness, it all comes to the forefront. It was horrendous. Why have we got him in the team? Um, what do you make about Kipre then in in terms of the goals and his responsibility there? I, I think there's three or four talking points around Kipre and the defence. Um, is that after the first goal, yeah, that was a bit of a balls-up by Kipre and um, Connor Townsend. But if you watch afterwards, Ajay and Kipre are all over the place. They don't know where they are. They're looking around. Where's the ball? And it's just messy, messy defending. But after they score that goal, most teams, you see, they've only gone one down uh, in the first 20 minutes. You know, there's that roar. Yeah, like, let's, let's get back into this. Let's start the game again. Let's, you know, let's go out. But there was none of that. Everyone's heads were low. It's 20 minutes into the first game of the season. You can't be that defeated straight away. We've been playing well, so I don't understand where that there wasn't that. And then as soon as the kickoff came, obviously it was passed back. Kipre tried to do one of those passes out to, I think, Yukushlu, wasn't it? He was uh, upheaded. And yeah, and I think the last talking point about that, and it is a bit of a harsh one. I think Palmer can do better, but the strike was, it was pure, wasn't it? So I just think... It's all over the place. I think Ajay and Kipre together are very similar-minded players. They're looking around. They're very clumsy-looking players as defenders. They're not very neat. They're not like your John, uh, Johnny, you know, O'Shea's, your McCauley's, you know, those. And anybody like around that, Jonas Olsen was a gangly, but he was neat, you know, neat at taking the ball away from someone. And I think that's my problem. It's not just Kipre. I think... If you've got a weak player next to you, like a JE, and vice versa, they both play worse. So I haven't got a problem with Kipre. I think their partnership does not work. It doesn't work at all. And I think Kipre, there's a bit more of a cult following of a JE because he makes up for a lot of his mistakes. You know, like around if he loses the ball, he's got the pace to pick up the ball again. And he doesn't get enough stick as it is. I know some people give him stick, but people do that exact excuse that I've just said. I know you do it, Jamie. Oh, he makes up for his uh, mistakes, but it's not it's, all the time. He adds drama to the game, which we all want, but then provides the entertainment by recovering. It's, yeah, it's but... it is it is a difficult one, and and I think you you you've made the point well there about at least in terms of aesthetically, they're not neat and tidy players. I think it's there's probably some truth to what you said that. A lot of the battle with Kipre and Ajayi is between their ears. Do you know what I mean? That mental battle. And I think this isn't a even them specifically, but I don't know how Albion fans, well, sorry, Albion players, I know how Albion fans feel, but Albion players feel psychologically away from home when we concede. We know we've got a big problem instantly. And I think there's a, a mental narrative battle in their heads that, they are defeated at that point. Alex, what do you make of it all? So for me, um, I think a defence should be like a military operation. 
And, uh, you know, we, we often said last season, Aldar O'Shea was a bit of an action man, wasn't he? You know, getting stuck in, like proper commando, you could rely on him. Whereas you look at the other, you look at our centre-halves at the moment and you question really, are they as slick as like a military operation, as Joe said? You know, have they got that composure? You know, are they are they serious uh, on the ball? You know, don't take chances. Uh, they're clinical. Um, and I, I don't think they are. They've all got like a, a mistake in them. And you, you can't have mistakes in a military operation. Um, I reckon Caleb Taylor might come in and, you know, he's young, he's, un, he's untested. So I, th- I think he deserves a chance. I think Peters, you can rely on him. I think he, I think Peters and, for me, Taylor need to start the next game because um, I think they're the most reliable. Um, and if, you know, if, if, if they do sort of concede uh, or a part of a defence that concedes, it's not necessarily due to their lack of discipline. It's more to do with just their lack of pace or uh, inexperience as naivety so yeah I think um, Kipre's no good I'd sell him as quick as we can I'm surprised that Cardiff fans uh, you know they were protecting him on Twitter after the game saying like you know you're always welcome back here you know I think they, they could have him um, and Ajoy he's good he's got a lot he's got so much potential he's such a rough diamond but it's about time he you know he started delivering less mistakes yeah. and more reliability I get so jealous when I'm watching that game. You watch Blackburn's defenders. I know we don't press as much as as our strikers. You know we don't press as much when it comes to it. But Blackburn defenders find it so easy to pass it out to the wing, and when it's Albion, we just struggle. It's like we take one pass over to, uh, let's say, a Jay passes it to Kipre across the box. He'll dilly dally for two seconds, and their players are already on us. So then we have to. You know, like pass it out to Connor Townsend. He, if someone's on him straight away, and it doesn't, we never seem to do that to the other other side. It's just like, why are we so slow? Is our defence bad, or is that what we're told to do? Is it, you know, hesitate? I don't think we're told to hesitate, but they do seem to hesitate. And I think, how can you have a lack of confidence so early in the season when it's only twenty minutes into the game? I don't understand. I think there's something of a, a definite instructed part of it. Corbyn's come out and said he's a massive fan of De Serbi, isn't he? Now, De Serbi, part of his tactics is his defenders hold the ball uh, and, and kind of draw the press and so that when they do pass, it creates space in behind. The frustrating thing, I guess, about for Albion fans watching players like Ajayi and Kipre try and do that is that they're not technicians that, but this is the sad reality is that they're the best technicians we have in order to play the way Corbin has. I don't think Peters has that ability. And that's why I think he's fallen right down the pecking order. Bartley is very, very poor passer of the ball, but obviously a brilliant, no nonsense defender, but I don't think Corbin values that ahead of what Kipre offers, which is a little bit more of a, a ball playing center back. And I also think obviously we don't know much about, Caleb Taylor but what you notice is is that when we're trying to do that to create space so that our attackers can run into the channels or run at the defenders Sarmiento had a couple of opportunities in the second half where he he achieved something to that effect but the number of times that our centre-backs were exposed because there was space in behind Connor Townsend or Darnell Furlong and they were just running at 
Kipre and Semi Ajayi and there was numbers overwhelming. They had players on the overlap and they could just seemingly knock the ball through. It it really was it's it's difficult to defend. And sometimes I wonder is the problem more ahead of them sometimes and it results in them being exposed and isolated as centre backs and they just don't have the quality to make up for that. It's like, you know, when you say the straw that broke the camel's back. Like Kipre was the straw that broke the camel's back because they were his mistakes, but there was stuff happening in that game ahead of him, which almost exposed him. Because when you say the straw that broke the camel's back it is the straw, but it's all the other weight that really made the difference. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Go on. Sorry, Joe. It, it was just two minutes of madness as well, wasn't it? it yeah, was, absolutely. Like, the whole game. And I think yeah, that just... did change the whole way the game played out. Yeah, it, it totally did. And like, for example, like you were saying there, it's people ahead of the defence who Chalabur tried so many <laughs> flicks and. I like that. I thought Chalabur's little yeah, but scoopy. He did, but he didn't go through to anybody. He's not supposed to be. He's there to be a defensive midfielder on the uh, the pitch. That's what I think Chal- um, Corbran started out to be. You know, get the nil nil half time, then probably change it up. I think that's what he probably did. But I don't think. Corbran would be like seeing that when it's not going to directly to our player. But yeah, yeah. I think it is one of those things. I think all of the training and all of the preparation that you do ahead of a game, and then like you said, Alex, two minutes of madness, and all of a sudden we're two nil down, and all of the the patterns of play that you're looking to cultivate, all of your strategies and all of your options kind of are instantly blown up and the game script now is that you're chasing the game you're chasing at least two goals and really Blackburn are are fairly comfortable like sitting in and then catching us on the break with that young lad they had up front who was who was rapid to be fair let's move on then we did get one goal back Matt Phillips with a little bit of a slick interchange with Jed Wallace and he does what Matt Phillips does really which is score a lot of goals really from the wing his return is amazing and obviously we we see glimmers of the best of Matt Phillips but like it will be a case of can he stay fit can he stay motivated or whatever the case may be but he always has an eye for goal Uh, and in this game he had a couple of shots really played well encouraging performance from Matt Phillips um, off that left-hand side again but apart from him going forward and a little bit of a, a little bit of excitement that Sarmiento injected, although he wasn't he made a couple of errors as well, we really looked a bit toothless going forward. And when your best chances in the game fall to Jason Malumbi, um, your kind of hard working, gritty Irishman workhorse player in the middle of the park who's just gambling on getting onto those scraps in the box um and unfortunately for him if he, if he could have got his feet sorted quicker and if their player didn't handball one he probably should have by rights had two goals but it showed that we really lacked a cutting edge against Blackburn in my opinion and Brandon Thomas Asante was doing a really nice job of getting out wide to the right um, and crossing the ball in, but wasn't really a presence in the box, I didn't think particularly. Um, and Jed Wallace having a what's become a little bit of a theme, a little bit of a an odd 
oddly quiet and stifled game. Uh, my two thoughts coming out of this game were were defensively frail, but ultimately toothless as well. What do you guys think about the the lack of goals and the the, the attack as it was? I think it's toothless and a lack of pace. We don't seem to take anybody. We're not direct, are we? Like Jed Wallace at the start of last season was going direct down the wing and putting it in the box. He didn't seem to do that at all this match. Sarmiento, the only person actually, sorry, before going to Sarmiento, Matt Phillips did it quite a lot, but he still checked up, went back because there was no one in there. We only had BTA and Jason Malombe. It's probably the smallest people you can aim for in that I box. do like that, that they're not just chucking it in anymore, though. When you have got BTA in there, the last season, there was still this thing where you just chucked it in anyway and it was pointless. Yeah. No, I do like that. And I think I understand that, but there's still no that directness, you know, like going, cutting into the box. Like Jed Wallace, I remember him doing a, a a cross across the box. Like you said, it was he didn't even look up; he just hit. It. And I know, I know people say it's football in uh, footballer's instinct, but when you've got BTA and blooming Jason Malumbi, you know it's they're not known for heading, you know, like scoring from there, are they? So it's just I, for me, Sarmiento showed a bit of pace, bit of ingenuity. He. He, he likes to cut in, doesn't he? He doesn't like to go down the wing. He likes to cut in and keep passing it into the middle, which is how we scored through Matty Phillips. So maybe that may work. Uh, but I think he should have took Jed Wallace off, left Matt Phillips on. I know Matt Phillips is coming back from an injury, but had Matt Phillips on the left and probably Sarmiento on the right yeah. or, you know, mixed it up over those two because I think Matt Phillips, he's a fit guy. You could tell that he's not like going to, you know, keel over, but I suppose he's got to manage his injuries. But I think we would have been more threatening with both of those on. And it shows when BTA, there's no one to bring on for BTA, is there? The guy was run ragged by the end of, this, uh, end of the match. And I don't want to talk about Swift because he's either injured or he just, he wasn't fighting for his position if that's what he's going to do when he comes off the bench. Because maybe he needs someone with competition in that position because he knows Jason Malumbi isn't really going to be in that position for the season, but maybe needs some competition because, I don't know, he just seemed half-arsed about it. Like Even when he was passing the ball, he doesn't normally pass badly, but he wasn't even reaching his man and stuff like that. So that's another one. I think that might be a one-off, but um, yeah, this just, yeah, toothless is the right, and I think pace and directness for me. Yeah, it's my biggest worry is that we haven't got enough goals in us. Um, you know, that's the that's the number one thing that keeps me up at night. Um, but you know, I do like uh, Thomas Asante. So don't don't get me wrong. I think he's a great player, but he's not a lone striker. Um, and he's also for me, he's an impact sub, a bit like Solskjaer was. You know, I think he can come on and once when defend when defenders are knackered, he comes on and messes them about, bullies them a bit. I don't think he's He's the finished article yet. Um, I, I don't. I think he can improve his finishing, but you know, there's the seeds of hope with Sarmiento and uh, Madger coming in. You know, hopefully they'll inject us with a bit more creativity. Um, there we go. I've said it, and I can see what's in Jamie's mind now. Um, I'm not doing it now. We're on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> creativity bot um, is, you know, he's 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 one for the radio, isn't he? But. but um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm. You know, I've I've got a glimmer of hope that uh, Sarmiento and Madger are going to uh, come in and 
hopefully fuel a few goals because um, that's what we're seriously lacking at the moment. I'm not too worried about the defence. I think that will sort itself out. But it's the, the attack that I worry about. I think, like you said, I think that the, there was a couple of main issues for me. And I think Jed didn't quite look at it. I don't know whether he's not fit. I don't know whether he's just a bit fatigued or whatever. But it wasn't the same driving down the wing Jed Wallace that we're used to. In fact, I don't think he took it down the wing once, really. really didn't seem to be even looking to occupy that space. John Swift, when he came on, I'm a big John Swift fan. I really like John Swift. Definitely a couple of strange passes in, in where he's almost dwelled for it and you thought he was taking the time to pick out the perfect like money pass, but then he literally just passed it directly to a Blackburn player and it was a really confusing sequence of play. Um, but there are some rumours going around on social media afterwards that perhaps he's not fully fit and that's one of the reasons why he potentially didn't start. Um but it's interesting. I've just seen a, a little bit of data come through on the on the Twitter or the X or whatever it's known as now, and it says that we're actually one of the most direct teams in the league. In fact, we were the second most direct team behind Coventry, who are miles ahead of everyone else. Um, we've only just over two and a half passes per sequence. And I think that did show, particularly when we were chasing the game, it became like no midfield and just lumping the ball forward and hoping it stuck. It certainly led to a number of really, really good chances with Blackburn. But ultimately, it, it kind of showed that even when we're chasing the game and we're pumping it long, really, we didn't create any clear-cut opportunities. There was one I, I remember where... Sarmiento rode a few challenges and passed it to Jed and Jed kind of like really timidly just fired it into the defender next to him and there was another one where the ball came all the way across and John Swift had it like 20 yards from goal and you're thinking shoot and he lays on Jed and Jed side foots it it was really strange like shot choice in that situation and you just think they it's it's interesting you said Joe they look like players playing with zero confidence and that's really weird on the first game of the season. And we saw this at the end of last season, like our away form was so bad. And I just wonder how much of that still sticks in the head in this squad that they really struggle on the road. Um, and it, But the, the real interesting thing for me is could this game have been different had we got a few decisions from the referee? Obviously we've already said that it, Blackburn weren't up to much before the two goals and that massively changed the complexion of the game to the point where we were having to be much more open and expansive in the way we were trying to play, which left us vulnerable and they really could take advantage of their two-goal lead. But there was three penalty shouts. There was, what, seven yellow cards in this game. Carlos Corbin got sent off, and it wasn't a nasty game at all. I didn't think there was a few, there's a little bit of niggliness, but nothing cynical or like evil about the game. But there was three penalty shouts, uh, two in the first half, one in the second half, one for a kind of shoulder collision with Brandon Thomas Sante, a second with. Jed Wallace nips in front of the defender, and his heels are clipped, and he goes down, and the third for what I think is a relatively blatant handball where the the player prevents a Jason Lumbee shot going into the goal. 
like refereeing performances shouldn't be the reason that we don't win matches and I, and I think you're on to a bit of a loser if you, you you as a fan base you're constantly blaming referees for not picking up enough points but that being said should we have had one two three penalties in this match what do you guys think I think we should have had two penalties I think uh first one no it was a bit of a weak it was uh BTA weak sh- shoulder barge and uh yeah, it would never even even VAR was there. They'd looked at it and it's a bit weak by BTA. Can I just Second say one. something there? Sorry, Joe. There's this weak appeal by Brandon Thomas and Santa as well, but I think he's saying it's a corner. Not he's not oh, claiming a penalty because it was actually a goal kick, and I think he wasn't moaning about the challenge. And I don't know if this anyone else picked this up, but I thought he was saying no, it's a corner. Like I haven't. He's touched it, but yeah. Sorry, carry on. Possibly, yeah. Uh... But it doesn't make a difference. That <laughs> so, corner could have changed the game, is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. um, but the second one, Jed Wallace definitely gets clipped. He gets in front of his player. The player knocks the back of his heels. He goes down. Definitely a penalty. I don't care what people are saying on social media or other things. It's a penalty. Even if it's weak, it's a penalty. He gets taken down. If he, if the, if he doesn't get clipped, he's running with that ball into the box. So... You know that's it, and def and the third one, the guy takes his. Uh, that was the handball one, wasn't it? I don't know what the defender was called, but um, a yeah, cheat. he's a cheat. Yes, he called himself a goalkeeper, a basketball player. Uh, no, his his body was outside. You know, like it wasn't in a natural position. His arm wasn't. It wasn't beside his body. Yeah, it was like yeah. So I just think we could easily, we should have got one of those at least. Out of, you know, out of probability, out of the three, we should have got one. And they claimed for one as well, didn't they? But that wasn't his arm. Furlong's arm was right beside his uh, side. So if you compare both of them, ours is more of a penalty. So it just seemed, I don't think the referee was that bad on decisions through the game um, anyway. But when it came to big decisions, he kind of bottled it. I don't think he wanted to be centre of attention the first game. Saying enough of manager is nothing, really, is it? But giving a penalty away, away at Ewood Park to the visitors, I think that would be putting him in the centre of attention. I don't think he'd like to be in that position. Yeah, I can't stand referees. Um, but I just think, um, you know, they've been they've obviously been told to be less tolerant. Um, so he's making a point uh, at the start of the game, like booking everyone, slowing down the play. But I really like the fact that they added on time. Um, you know, it's good to see that, that you know, there's a, around 10 minutes in each half added on. Um, I think that's definitely something that needed to be improved because I was so frustrated last season with the time wasting. But I just wish we had VAR now. That's my next gripe. Um, so if they do listen to me, I hope they uh, bring VAR into the championship because, you know, we need it. Yeah, I do think the referees association, what is it, the PGMLL or whatever, they do definitely subscribe and listen and share the podcast weekly. So I'm sure yeah. they'll be taking notes. I think the thing for me, which was really annoying, though, is that like in the, the nine minutes added on in the second half, Blackburn just literally had the ball out of play all the time. And as soon as it got to the ninth minute, he blew up anyway. So it, they really, like, there should have been added time onto added time because... They really didn't enforce it particularly well. 
in my opinion. But nevertheless, the game ended 2-1. We didn't get to hear from uh, Carlos Corbram because he was uh, suspended from all of his media duties. Jed Wallace, new club captain. Thumbs up, thumbs down. He's too much of a Millwall fan for me. I like it. I think I like I, it. I think I like it as well. I think he's constructive. It was either him or Connor Townsend, wasn't it? Yeah, if I had the pick, I think Connor Townsend comes across like naughty schoolboy sometimes. So I'm going super Jed. But yeah, we're going to have a quick break here and then come back to talk about the news and our next game against Swansea. Right, we are back after our mini break. We've got a little bit of a news flash during the, our little five, ten minute window, whatever it was. We were losing 1 0, then we were drawing 1 0, and now we're back to losing 2 1. BTA has scored um, before, again, from a kickoff. It looks like we've conceded relatively rapidly. Nobody concedes from their own kickoffs like the Albion. It's something that we pride ourselves on. And apparently, also during that little window, the Wolves managers left, which is interesting, a little tidbit as well but we're going to come on to just a few new stories that have been circling obviously it is tis the season for transfer rumors and such and Albion have had another rumor bubble up today one that I'm particularly excited about we'll talk about goings out in a minute but the comings in um, are something that we all want to hear more about and it's Scott Twine the Burnley player who scored a, a pretty stunning free kick against us to steal um, their victory at Turf Moor away from us. I know they dominated us in that game, to be fair, but he was a player that a lot of people were talking about the season before when Burn the actually kind of picked him up from MK Dons, a really prolific attacking midfielder, a, a number 10 who creates chances, scores plenty of goals. Um, there's been a few links, a few tenuous links today to us. It's one of the areas, as you've already said, Joe, that we don't have a lot of depth and competition. We had Tom Rogic last season, did really work. Uh, and this season, it's just John Swift, uh, apparently, who's going to fulfill that entire role. So we could do with a bit of cover there. I don't think it's the place we need the most amount of help. But what would you think about us signing Scott Twine? I think he's a quality player. His uh, free kick against us who uh, got the three points away at Burnley last season was quality. And, yeah, you mentioned it a couple of... I think it was when we were talking about it before last season that you'd like him because we knew he was leaving MK Dons and there's a few rumours around there. But this one really seems like, you know, the gossip column. You remember on BBC where you could just go to the gossip uh, and yeah, I think they have it on the Birmingham Mail. I think it is just gossip. I can't see us getting. He played quite a lot in. Uh, I've read that he played a lot in Burnley's pre-season. Um, and company obviously liked him. Uh, last season, so maybe, maybe he's not in. Uh, the picture for him, but I just think some other team will come in. If he is on the market, there's a lot of other teams who can offer a lot of money, like someone like Leicester. Someone like that. I could just see him going to another team who's chasing that automatic promotion space. Not to put a negative spin on it, but yeah, he'd be a great player for us. But I just can't see that happening. We don't seem to have the luck at the moment. It'd be a great look if that I think that could kind of turn our season to a bit more well, you know, we've been saying that we're lacking, you know, this toothless part of the Albion, but I think he could be that creative spark with John Swift alternating, coming on after half time. That I think it just two quality attacking creative players 
that's great uh, to have. But like I said, I think it is only gossip. Al, do you want to puncture the balloon anymore? No, I don't think I can add anything other than, yeah, I'd welcome him with open arms. Perhaps a different question to you, Alex, then. What what areas of the squad, obviously we've seen pre-season now, we've seen the first game of the season. Where do you think the big holes in the squad are? What If you were Ian Pierce now, where would you be looking to recruit for the Albion? So I think we need a bruiser centre-half, like an Olsen, McCauley, someone who's a bolder, solid, you know, reliable. I think we need another striker um, and a, perhaps a, a couple of full-backs or centre-half that can play full-back, a youngster perhaps. Um, and then I think we're sorted for the season. Um, I'd like to see um, Corbyn experiment a bit more with the formation. But, I, I, you know, I don't... I just can't wait for Madger and um, Sarmiento to get up to speed because I think they're going to be quite impactful. I think you've covered the bases there that I would. I do think that it's all, there's a, a good chance that we're in the market for another 10. I know the Twitter in the nose have claimed that that's one of the positions we're looking to fill. One of the positions that you've just mentioned there, Alex, that we seem to always neglect and have neglected for the past three or four seasons is both fullback positions. I don't know where we got to there. Our recording interrupted somewhere along the line there. But effectively, I do think our our fullbacks are an area I'd really like to see strengthened. You see so many teams now around us and even Blackburn, their fullbacks causing us so many problems. Um, and yet Darnell Furlong and Connor Townsend have been in competition-free like positions for the last few years really I think Peters was maybe brought in to compete with um, Connor Townsend and Darnell Furlong has owned Darnell Furlong and Darnell <laughs> Furlong has only ever had competition from youngsters really so I'd really like to see some strengthening there let's talk about players going out we had the news today which has been greeted with some fanfare that David Button has left the club the mutual termination of his contract I think that one feels like it was a little bit of an inevitability it become like untenable really his position at the club we've even seen the goalkeeper coach lose his his place and you can understand really last season was so calamitous performance wise from David Button and any goalkeeping coach worth his kind of metal who's determined that he was the the best choice goalkeeper to present to the the first team coach or the manager is is bonkers to me so I can understand why kind of heads have rolled over that it's a shame for David Button I guess in a personal way but I just it, it makes sense from a footballing standpoint so much he was clearly at the bottom of a, a pecking order behind three younger more talented goalkeepers you guys got any thoughts about David Button leaving or does it speak for itself yeah, I think it speaks for itself. But yeah, like you said, it was untenable. It's not nice to be in that situation where he did get booed a lot. He got jeers and everything. So not great for his mental health personally. And yeah, he can move away now. Now Steve Bruce made him move to the Midlands. <laughs> now he's allowed to, he's set free into the UK to move wherever he wants. He can move up north and probably pay for Reading, to be honest. Uh, I don't think there'll be that instruction there. So 
Yeah, I hope him all the best, to be honest. Um, we'll probably play Reading in the future, and he'll play absolutely brilliant. That's yeah, what out of his album. mind, yeah. yeah. In terms of other outgoings, a lot of it is rumours and speculation. One of the big names this week was Josh Griffiths, people saying that... Um, there's a, some clubs have met his valuation and it's kind of almost a bidding war, but a bidding war that's landed at about 5 million quid um, that the Albion received for Josh Griffiths with some room for that to rise. Obviously a really talented keeper. I know he scored an own goal tonight, but um, what, what, what about Josh Griffiths? Is that something where if we can get some money for him now, it's worth it just to reinvest in the squad or would you hold on to him? What do you to do? Go on, Alex, I'll let you answer this one. I think um, he's contracted, isn't he? So I'll just keep him on his contract for another couple of seasons and um, hopefully his value will increase from about £5 million up to about 10 15 and then I'll cash in. My personal opinion is probably the opposite. I think let him go, have a good sell-on fee. If he reaches the potential and goes for a big amount of money, We'll get a good sell-on fee plus what we've got now. When we need it, we need it now. To be honest, we don't need. I think Josh Griffiths as having him on the bench is a bit of a um, something that we don't need. We've got that Ted Khan who could play probably on the bench, where it's not probably going to come into the first team, or we can loan a goalkeeper for very cheap. So I think get the money in now if we can reinvest even. 500,000 of that into someone's contract for the year on loan, you know, that's, I think, for our season, that's probably better. I think the the thing for me is there's, I'm torn, so I probably represent the middle ground between you two. I, I, I recognise that there's no smoke without fire regarding his talent. He's obviously well thought of in the England setup. He's obviously well thought of at the Albion, really young. So you'd imagine that the ceiling's quite high. And therefore, like you said, Alex, the the potential fee in a few years down the line could be astronomical with what people are paying for keepers at the moment, particularly young English ones. Um, but then at the same time, he's we need something to break the deadlock with a lot of these incomings that we need money and whether that's him or Grady's another player that's been touted as potentially making way to, to clear the books, to get some like revenue in, to get some more players in. And so I think for me, it's one of those ones where I also don't trust that Palmer will, you never hear about goalkeepers getting injured really much. And then when Palmer got injured and suddenly we're down to like a, a third choice keeper or we've got to go and get another keeper and it feels like it might put us in our position so I'm not sure really I'm I'm just going to have to um, sit on the fence a little bit with this one the other two players that have been mentioned we have spoken about them was Grady and TGH obviously again these there's 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 opinions on both sides of the fence I guess as to why there's positives to keep them and why there's positives to sell them on. Perhaps if we get a very, very, just get your guys kind of thoughts and impressions in like a kind of hot take, whether you'd keep them or sell them for both of them. PJH, I'd sell him because I don't think he makes any impact at all, to be honest. Nice having a, a someone who's been, came through the ranks at the Albion, but I think for me, 
he doesn't do it for me. If he was playing for another squad, we wouldn't be looking to sign him. So, you know, I think he's not good. And Grady, if we don't sell him, that isn't the biggest loss. I think he's going to be great coming back into the team, maybe off the bench, because he is an impact player. We saw that last season. His best football was when he came off the bench for that last 30 minutes when the teams were running a bit ragged and they couldn't put three people on him. They'd have to, you know, like they're tired and stuff. So I'd try and keep Grady and sell TGH personally. Well, I think my opinion like, is that so these these two players are quite young. And uh, I think I, I really like the, the Ajax teams of old where, you know, they play a lot of youngsters. And, you know, even if you look at teams like Arsenal, um, you know, I quite... I think it would be a real shame if we sell two of our younger players, you know, that have got potential. Um, you know, whether that potential is ever realised, we'll never know. Uh, but I think it would be a dark day for me uh, if we lost TGH and Dean Garner. I prefer to keep them. T- Dean Garner is my favourite Albion player. You know, I, I, I love watching him. I think he's an exciting player to watch with his skills and his ability. Um, and he, he can get much better as well. Yeah, I think I liked watching Dean Garner three years ago for about four months, but I think we've seen the best of Dean Garner in an Albion shirt, in my opinion, and it was a few years ago, and there's been glimmers of it, and I know a lot of people speak about his defensive work and a lot of other things, but really, the player that we had in Dean Garner isn't the player we now have. And I think for me, if some club is willing to come in and spend the figures that are being knocked around like seven million quid, it just I you bite their hand off really because for me he's not worth anywhere near that anymore. I think a lot of what people are excited about him just isn't there since that injury. That that little kind of evasive dribbling um turn of speed all of those things that used to just take him past players or just cause all kind of problems for defenders that i just haven't seen it in years we catch it like i said there are a few moments across an entire season where you go oh he's back but then it's it'll be short-lived or they'll do something where he just shows a, a real weakness or on the ball or a real frailty he struggled with injuries since TGH is a different one for me. Again, I think like you said it well there, Joe, that he's not a player that you, if he wasn't a youngster at the club, I don't think there'd be anywhere near the level of enthusiasm around him. One of the things that people have said again, because he hasn't really nailed down a specific position in the team that hurts him quite a lot. He's a little bit reckless in possession. There's a few times where he's given the ball away, but then he does show moments of quality. The goal against Salford, was it? Where he kind of dribbled around the defences at the outside the box and finished really well. You know there's a player in there. He gets compared to Sam Field a bit, doesn't he? Like the one that got away. And, and again, I, for me, when Albion released Sam Field, it's a little bit of um, hindsightism or whatever. Like at the time, it made sense for Albion to re- release um, Sam Fields, and if we release TGH or we sell TGH and we struggle and we go down and he goes on to be a brilliant player, I don't think that makes it necessarily 
the wrong decision. I just think that you you have to kind of evaluate on face value at the moment. And for me, TGH isn't going to figure massively in Carlos Corbran. And could the money that we get for him be reinvested into some player that does figure highly in Corbran's plans, then I'd be willing to back that ahead of TGH presently, I think. Right, well, that's kind of all the news and tidbits. Shall we move on to the Swansea game, our first home game of the season? Swansea are a team I just dread every year playing against. They're always, no matter who the manager is, I know Russell Martin kind of popularised it at um, Swansea, this small, short passing, really kind of distinct tick-attacker way of playing that Swansea always play. And whoever it is, wherever they are, they always seem to cause us massive problems. They always look like a, a quality side in possession. And I'm just across the years a little bit haunted by Swansea, particularly away. So at home, it's not as uh, devastating. Got a really good lineup. Although saying that, they've drawn their first game of the season against Blues. And again, it's difficult to gauge at this stage of the season how much does that mean. Blues are a lot of people's, the media darlings, a lot of dark horse people really excited about what Birmingham have done, their recruitment. So that could be a really good result. A draw against Blues could be. But at this stage, they've got a few players. They've got Jerry Yates up front player that we were linked with at one point, the striker from Blackpool, who's always scored goals. In fact, he's already off and running in terms of his goal-scoring record for Swansea. Now, Matt Grimes always causes us all kinds of problems, absolutely dominates midfield whenever we play against them. Uh, again, really seems to dictate play, the tempo of the game, great passing ability, really kind of like pulls the strings from midfield, like what we'd want. So I am concerned going into this game a little bit, but I don't know whether it's because of like pre-existing emotional conflict within me or the reality that Albion perhaps are not a stronger side of Swansea anymore. What do you guys think? I think my biggest one threat is uh, Joel Puddle. I've looked at the oh, pronunciation yes. of did, did he score? Was he the one who scored at like the last second of last season? He did. Yeah. Uh, he's probably averaging over, I think last season he got 19 goals, and the season before I've looked up, he got 22 goals. So prolific championship striker that was interested in him in, uh, in Premiership. He hasn't gone. He's obviously a quality, quality striker. And with our defence at the moment, until we find that right partnership, I think it's just easy for an attacker, a striker like that, just take advantage of it and score goals. Um, it really, really frightens me, to be honest. I know we're worse away to them. We lost them last season 2-0 at home, didn't we? I kind of remember. I think they scored a couple, of, yeah, a couple of late goals or whatever. But um, I think that was early in the season under Steve. Bruce's uh, tenure at the start of the season again. But I just, yeah, I can't see. I know last last week we were so positive about the Albion. <laughs> it's already gone. Uh, but I don't know, to be honest. Um, we're at home. It's going to be the first game of the season. I, do, I think that does change a lot of it. That we're, you know, everyone's going to be excited. Hopefully, that can go into the the performances of our players. And we have a more 
positive lineup from Corbran. So I just think it's going to be a difficult game. Um, I want to give my prediction though. At the moment, I will do. I think we're going to lose two one because that seems to be the result <laughs> that we we like to choose at the moment. Uh, just because we're losing at the moment, I think it's in the final minutes of Stoke. Uh, we're losing two one again. Uh, so and I think BTA probably will score because I think BTA is going to be the striker for for the foreseeable till Madger's up to speed. Yeah. Um, man of the match. <laughs> Don't think you have a man of the match if we're losing, do we? Can we not have a man of the match? So I'll, I'll let you, Alex. What do you think? Um, again, I'm quite uh, I'm quite scared going into uh, Saturday. Um, I think it'll be a really difficult game. Um, I don't think uh, they're going to annihilate us, uh, famous last words, but I don't think we're going to beat them handsomely either. So I reckon um, 1-0 to the Albion. Um, I reckon it's going to be a scrappy game. Um, We're going to try and block up the midfield again. Sarmiento is going to play a full game, hopefully. Um, Although that said, it looks like he's rested Wallace and... Phillips tonight, so who knows? Uh, I hope Madger is on the bench at least. Uh, it'd be good to see him. Uh, but yeah, I think we're going to win one nil. Uh, I reckon maybe Swift is going to prove some of the naysayers wrong. Well, Alex has turned into a cyborg <laughs> midway through that sentence, and I think he may have gone. He's either holding. Oh, he's there. Well, now I'm having a coughing fit. Great. I'm still yeah. here. You've recovered, mate, from your um, the kind of AI takeover there. That's really well done. Um, I'm, I'm worried as well about this game. I'm going to try and remain optimistic because I don't want to be fickle to think that. There are certain elements of the Blackburn game that on another day we win comfortably and we were talking about how... Corbra masterminded a victory away from home. So I think there's still reasons to be optimistic about what we can do. I'd like to say see a bit of a braver lineup um going into the game. I'd like to see perhaps Moat start or Swift start ahead of Chalabar, even though I'm not sure he was the problem. And just see what we can do really and see if we can almost beat Swansea at their own game I think we'll still try and play fairly direct and I think that will suit um, Swansea to a fair degree in their build-up style but I want to say we're going to beat them 2-1 I'm not sure who will score it's such a difficult Matt Phillips and BTA let's say gets another goal just to wrap up the podcast now it's just finally finished 2-1 um, Stoke have beaten us. Our EFL Cup run is already over before it started. We did actually experiment in this game, it looks like, with three at the back. So your wish is already kind of partially being fulfilled. Just quickly looking at the figures, um, BTA has obviously come on and scored. All of the, I guess, the real interesting talking points is how are the players on the fringes played Ingram looks like he's had a really good game according to Fockmob he's got a 7.5 rating won all these aerial duels put some good crosses into the box it looks like 
passing was all good. Um, Caleb Taylor, this was really interesting. Quickly just looking at his stats, he won five out of eight aerial duels. How does someone as tall as him not win every aerial duel? That's a strange one. And he only won one of seven ground duels. So perhaps he isn't the the finished product yet. That that doesn't read particularly well. In fact, he's, he only had a 5.6 rating. Um, and I guess you look at the rest of the team and it, it, it's not a, an encouraging performance all round. I don't think it doesn't seem. But it's only the cup. And I think most of us expected that. Uh, an EFL Cup run at the very least wasn't something that was high on Corbyn's agenda. And so I guess we bow out pretty unceremoniously, really. Any quick thoughts on the Cup or whatever? Um, not It would have been nice to get a win. Not just for the Cup, just for, for get our first win on the board uh, against Stoke, I suppose. Um, I don't think they went easy on us. I think they tested out some of their new signings like we had Sarmiento came on and our new signings are really youth players aren't they mm-hmm. that we haven't seen before so I suppose it gives them a run out um, and Corbran can have a look at them again if he's taking it into that the preseason is still going maybe it just gives him another look at all the players and how they played so yeah I'm not too too bothered about the result in the cup if that was in the league I'd be very bothered I think it's a bit of a shame because the cup gives us opportunity to play those fringe players. Now we've lost that. Mm, Indeed. Well, we'll leave it there, I think, boys, in that kind of deflated note. Hopefully next week we'll have something a little bit more joyous to talk about. A first game of the season, a first victory of the season, all the return to Hawthorns and the fanfare and the optimism will be back. And then we smash the end of the transfer window and we all feel right as rain and it's all upwards from here. So on that happy, happy, optimistic note, all that remains for me to say is a huge thank you to you, Alex Collins. Cheers. A huge thank you to you, Joseph Clay. Cheers. Thank you for listening or watching the Debate Club this week. We love you all, and we will see you all next week. Sweet.